0: It's very hard to access the energy from your space when there's clutter around you. You just can't. It's like your clutter, it creates a block between you and the good energy and the good vibrations that your space can give you.
1: Welcome to the I Make a Living podcast brought to you by FreshBooks, the number one cloud accounting solution for small business owners and their teams. I'm Damona Hoffman, and I'm one of you, an entrepreneur who appreciates order and organization in my life even though I don't always have it. Q4 is coming to a close. The holidays are here, and we're starting a second lockdown. So today, we're going to clear the air, literally. I'm talking to someone who I have worked with in the past. Her name is Inessa Freya, and she's a psychotherapist and feng shui consultant. Inessa has traveled the globe, learning from the world's foremost experts in feng shui, and now she combines all of that knowledge with her two master's degrees in psychology to help her clients work through inner issues that may be manifesting in their daily lives. Here's Inessa on how she makes a living.
0: I am a feng shui practitioner. That means that I, I used to go into people's homes, and now I I go into their homes through Zoom. So I go and I assess their spaces and I help them align their home for optimal harmony. I'm also a licensed psychotherapist. So I see people via Zoom for therapy sessions. So mainly my business is uh, Feng Shui and therapy.
1: That's an interesting combination because I think on one hand, they're the people that are a little more linear that are like, okay, I understand. Like, you're a licensed therapist. I get that modality. But wait a minute, feng shui. What is feng shui?
0: Totally. And so I've, I've incorporated those two together because I like to use that more linear, I guess, symbolic model of, of psychology to understand a person's space. So I, I analyze people's homes to understand them better and then help them understand themselves better. And for me, they they both go hand in hand. Like feng shui is more spiritual and there's that dimension of it. But I like to speak about it from a more psychological perspective, like trying to understand yourself through what you're already creating in your space. And then, you know, if what you're creating in your space doesn't support you making changes so that it does support you and your goals.
1: A lot of people now are being forced to work in their homes and are having to adapt their space to incorporate running their business or their side hustle maybe also working another job then there's their family for me i have homeschool happening and i imagine that there must be there must be a better way to do it <laughs> For lack of a better... <laughs> a better way for you. <laughs> there must be a better way. I don't know. Our listeners are like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How would you recommend that people, now that we know we're probably in this for the long haul, we're going to have to have a work-from-home space and environment that supports our goals? Right. How do we begin to do that?
0: There's many things that I've had to adopt along the way. But one of the things is um, maintaining like really good boundaries between work, space, and life space. Like I've had to take a part of my bedroom, which has been like in feng shui, that is one of the biggest faux pas. Like you do not have an office in your bedroom. I've been talking about that and preaching that for so long. You know that, right?
1: I know. When you and I first met and you were helping me with feng shui, that was the case because I had a roommate. So um, I couldn't have my desk out in the living room. So we had to create sort of zones.
0: Right. It sounds like that's what you've had to do. And I've had to create a zone. Like I've, I, you know, The worst thing is to see the desk from your bed. So I created a little zone in my bedroom. I used a divider uh, to separate between what is our bedroom and our sacred respite and what is the place where I work. And you know, I made it kind of its own little area. Mm-hmm. So when I'm in the room, I can't see it. I can't see that it's the divider is hiding a, a little desk, a little small – it's almost like a tray For my computer, so that's how I've created that separation between, you know, the bedroom and what it serves. It serves, you know, romance and rest. It serves a function of serenity and sensuality. But now it's become also a workspace, and with feng shui, it's so important to keep these boundaries healthy because now we're bringing people into our bedrooms. Right?
1: It's very intimate
0: in a way. Right? It's very intimate. So now, like, I'm seeing clients in my bedroom. So. I'm processing with people in my space, so I've got kind of their energy in my space. So one of the things my partner and I do is we make sure that we clear, we cleanse the space. We we have, you know, Palo Santo or Sage, we use different things to clear the air so that there's a feeling of closure. Like, okay, so I've, I saw this client now and I've cleared my space and I've brought it back to what it's supposed to be, which is the living space, the, the the resting space. So it's symbolic, right? So it helps like a ritual that helps define those boundaries.
1: Can you just kind of give us a sense of what is Feng Shui? <laughs> what what is it? Most people I think have an interpretation of it being you this it's wherever your stuff is placed. Where's your furniture placed? You talked about your desk earlier. Like where's the desk go? And where's the right place for it to go? But my understanding through working with you is that there's so many more layers to it in the intentionality and the creating space. Can you give us like
0: Feng Shui 101? I think it's it's becoming conscious of your relationship with your space. So it's that mindfulness piece. It's about mindfully arranging, mindfully relating Um looking at your place through symbolic eyes and having this understanding that you're not separate from the space, that there is this relationship with the space and it's going to impact you for better or worse. At the end of the day, it's like, is your space feeding you or is it draining you? Is it distracting you? Is it getting in the way?
1: Feng Shui is a 5,000-year-old art developed at a time when people lived a largely agrarian lifestyle farmers used feng shui to understand how to plant their crops and where to build their homes. In case a tornado or flood happened to pass through, people wanted to know how not to lose everything. So at its core, feng shui is the art of finding balance between man and nature. Now that we live in a consumer-driven society, this becomes a little more complicated considering the amount of clutter people tend to accumulate
0: today. Feng shui is not clearing the clutter, but you need to clear your clutter to have good feng shui. It's very hard to access the energy from your space when there's clutter around you. You just can't. It's like your clutter, it creates a block between you and the good energy and the good vibrations that your space can give you.
1: You know that I'm a bit of a clutter magnet. Like, I think a lot of creatives can probably relate to this. I'm constantly in flow on so many different projects and so many different things on my to-do list. And I never know what to do with paper. What do you say to those people who can't seem to rise up out of the clutter? I
0: understand yeah. Our place is constantly like, going from chaos to cosmos all the time, but we have to make time to put things away because right now, more than ever working from home, like clutter's always been a culprit, but now when you're living and working from home, now it becomes a monster because even if you're staring at the screen, if there's clutter surrounding you, whatever goes into the peripheral vision, your brain has to process. Ah. So it's taking up attention and space, right? So whatever you focus on grows. You don't have access to all your intuition and all your insight because you're expending a certain amount of energy to block out the clutter in your space. It's so important that from where you're working, you don't have clutter, Mm. that you clean up the space at least around you. Because I used to always say the most important rooms were the ones you spend the most time in. And that was always the bedroom because we spend a third of our life in bed. But now it's changed. Now it's like a different room in the house.
1: So true.
0: Wherever you have your computer right now, the spot where your computer's resting, like that desk, that table, at least keeping that clutter free because your brain will take in all that stimuli around you and it has to do something with it, which means that's like a spot in your head, a space in your head that's not going towards whatever's you know top of mind in that moment, which could be that person that you're working with and you're trying to help. So it is, it's zapping your energy.
1: That makes total sense and really grounds it from also like a psychological perspective. I feel like now everything on Netflix is like Marie Kondo and the home edit and everybody's gotten into like, how do I edit my life and organize my life? I know you said that the clutter is not feng shui, but it's an element of feng shui What do you take away from the popularity of
0: those shows, apart from the fact that we're all at home so much? (laughs) I think it's missing a big piece, which is that if you're a creative thing, because I've thought a lot about this, that for creative people, the clutter is a part of the process sometimes. I've spent a lot of time with my clutter, and I understand that I need to have things out, and sometimes in different piles. In order to come to some sort of cathartic experience, like I I need to have it out. And then I have to also agree that if I haven't been working on a certain project, I will put that away. So I'll give myself deadlines and I give myself time limits. Like if this has been out for three days and I've done nothing with it, it has to go in a drawer and a shelf. It has to go in a folder. Mm. So it's about creating like agreements with yourself on how long the clutter stays out.
1: There are those agreements again. Hmm.
0: I like the notion of that and I've done a lot of downsizing and just trying to minimize the amount of clothes I have and really going through what what do I truly love? What do I really need? Does it give me energy? Does it give me joy? But you have to get really good at releasing faster than you accumulate. That's the trick. You have to be able to let go of the stuff faster than you bring in more things into your house.
1: That's hard to do in the Amazon world that we live in.
0: But the question is, why are people uncomfortable? If they are uncomfortable, are they uncomfortable? Is there a discomfort with the amount of space that gets created once you've let go of things? I wonder. Because why is there this, this rush to buy something new, you know? What happens with that space? Like when when you declutter and you throw things away, first it feels really good and then there's sometimes there could be a feeling of like, oh, this is unfamiliar. I need to fill in the space with something else. So you have to get good at distinguishing, do I really need this item or am I filling in a spot, place that was filled in with something before because I'm not comfortable with this level of spaciousness in my environment?
1: Oh, that's deep, girl. That is so deep. (laughs) It is. And like, I I have some friends whose places I've walked into or seen on Zoom, and then I'm like, where's all your stuff? And where is it? Right? They don't know. Oh, they don't miss it. Oh, they they let it go. They're like, what do you mean? What stuff? I'm like, the stuff. Like, (laughs) where are all the papers that you're hiding? And like, where are those extra clothes? They don't have them because they as part of their process, have been able to release or organize or,
0: you know, find a place. I mean, that's a feng shui principle. A home for everything. Yeah, everything has a home. But let me ask you something, because I feel also like it's, we're talking about values and where you place your values. So if you're a person that puts your value on knowledge and information, I think you're going to have a lot more papers around you. You want to hold on to that idea and that thought. You know, so we're getting into a whole other thing here like if i've seen a lot of people that whose grandparents lived through the great depression or like my parents came as immigrants to this country and from from communism they, they you know there was no way of differentiation in that culture and so when, when my mom came here the first thing she did with her paycheck and never stopped doing was buying herself clothing cuz clothing is how she differentiated so now my clutter shows up in my closet because i that's been passed down to me and i place a value on clothes but it's, it was an unconscious value that was passed down I, until it became conscious. Now I'm like, oh, okay, I see. It's not that I really care so much about these things. It's just it's because it was something that was passed down from my mother. So if you look at people whose parents came out of the Great Depression, they tend to hold on to more of those things because there's these underlying kind of fear around not having enough of something. You asked me about Marie, right? Like, well, what, what do you think about her tidying up method? It's not as simple as that. Yes. I don't think it's as simple for everyone. For some people, it is but not for everyone.
1: No, I'm I'm with you on that. And like, it's funny because I don't put that much value on clothes and I've been able to release a lot of clothes over the years. But the area where I get stuck is so in alignment with what you said. My library is overflowing. I love my books. I have my grandparents' books in there. I have my grandmother's writings, the books she'd like led book clubs. And I have her notes in the margin So I know what she was thinking when she was reading particular books. Mm -hmm. And I cannot get rid of those books. I cannot get rid of those thoughts. And so when you were saying that, I so relate because my grandparents were from the depression era. They also are from immigrant families. And to them, the way to get ahead in this society was gain knowledge so that you can move up the social ladder, right? You can be something greater than the generation before you. So you have lo- totally analyzed me <laughs> in why why that is an area where I get kind of, I get sort of territorial over my clutter and
0: my stuff. And I understand. So that would only become a problem if, let's say you hire a feng shui consultant and you're like, I'm feeling so blocked because I'm not generating any new ideas. I feel like there's nothing new coming through me. I'm, I want to create something, but it's like all the same old stuff is getting rehashed in my mind. I might then go and look at all those books and say, "Wow, there's no room for new ideas." So then that would be a feng shui correction. We would start creating space, and you know, motivating you to let go of the old so you can bring in the new ideas. That's how we would use feng shui. If you were stuck in an area, and I saw that, oh wow, Demona, you want to like you're trying to find that one new idea, that idea that's going to be the idea, the big big idea, but you're feeling stuck. Then maybe it was time to let go of some of these old ideas, some of this old information and knowledge that you've acquired from the past to bring in something new. That's how that would work.
1: Now that you've peeked all up inside my closets, you can clearly see that you might have a deeper connection to your surroundings than you expect. But before you get all overwhelmed with the idea of a feng shui life overhaul, Inessa has a few tips for taking care of your mental health in this difficult time. First and foremost, it's all about getting your needs met.
0: I think it can get really overwhelming, you know, when there's this much uncertainty to try to figure things out and just to try to plan. So if you can't plan because there's so much uncertainty, the best thing you can really do is meeting one's basic needs, basic need for fresh air, for exercise. For water, for self-care, I think that's a great place to start. It's like, before you try to figure out these bigger problems, are you like tending to the the smaller things? Like, are you drinking enough water? Are you going outside during your breaks? I think these are basic things that any person can meet, and it doesn't require having you know money to meet these things. And then after that, I and then after you've met these basic things, then we delve into how do you cope psychologically with uncertainty. It's like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. How can you go into actualization if you haven't like taken care of your food, you know, your shelter, your you know, your need for love, your need for safety? Like those needs have to be met.
1: They do. But I do feel like a lot of people have deferred some of those. You know, there's like jokes going around of like, I've been wearing the same yoga pants or the same underwear for a week. And I just find, (laughs) and I probably learned some of this for you, even just like the personal feng shui of when you put on a nice shirt or fresh underwear, for example. It impacts us on a physiological level that's mm-hmm. that's very real, isn't it?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And I think it's interesting what you said about preparing yourself from the outside as if you're really going somewhere. I don't think about it as much just because I, I think I, I'm already by nature a little bit more vain. So I tend to – I do my makeup every day just because, so I, I, I miss that part. I forget that people don't – not everyone cares. But I just always been that way. It's like a habit that's ingrained in me. But I think there's something to be said about, you know, looking good, even if you're not having to look good for people, just putting on your lipstick and doing those little things that make you freshen up and make you feel like I think it increases your chi. I really do. I think it increases your vitality and your chi.
1: We've already talked about self-care and doing the things that make you feel like you under the pressure of a pandemic. For me, it's exercise. It's exercise. I can tell that it's been a particularly stressful year because as of yesterday, I just hit a one-year streak on Peloton. I have some serious dedication to self-care. However, Inessa also reminds us that you shouldn't feel guilty about the time you take to renew and relax. Self-care can also mean allowing yourself to just take a break and binge some Netflix for a few days.
0: There's a feeling of guilt for a lot of people. So for me, like the way that I overcome that level of inertia, you know, you're just stuck in a rut, you're not taking care of yourself is that I will commit to whatever it is that I'm doing. So if I'm watching a show, I'll commit fully. If I'm not exercising for that, for those three days, or if I'm just eating things that I really wouldn't eat, I'll commit to it fully and wholeheartedly. So I'm not doing it half fast. So you're totally aware of what you're doing and you're choosing it because the hardest part about like abandoning oneself is that you go unconscious and then you fall into these feelings of guilt. Like, oh, I, I just, I ate like two pints of ice cream and now I'm in the morning, I'm feeling inflamed, I have inflammation, I have a stomach ache. And, and that fuels you into, you know, not, not not exercising. So instead I'm scanning Facebook and looking what everybody else is doing. So if you were to just commit to like doing these things that you think you shouldn't be doing fully and then, you know, it's much easier to step away and to pivot into something healthier. That's how I do it. Like, I'll just do the bad thing or whatever or whatever that distraction is, that escapist thing is. I do it fully and wholeheartedly, but I do it with my full body and mind, knowing like I'm choosing this all the way. Like I'm conscious of myself while I'm doing it. And then I make a different choice.
1: Yep. Yep. Sometimes you have to go through the bad choices to get to the good. You know, a few weeks ago, we talked with an entrepreneur who revealed that at the time when he was from the outside doing the best in his business, like everybody knew his name and knew the work that he was doing, he was actually really, really dying inside. He was really going through a very difficult mental health battle. And you know that the choices, the decisions that you're faced with, especially in a time like this, are... Dire. They're the difference between you being able to take care of those basic needs and have food on the table. Mm -hmm. And maybe also the pressure of having to do that even for other people, for other employees, that if you don't make the right decision here, then other people will suffer that same fate. And I feel that a lot of entrepreneurs aren't even aware of when they're in the spin until it's too late.
0: You know who I love for this kind of work? Are you familiar with the work of Brene Brown? Sure. Yeah. Like I think I love all this work she's doing to help executives and entrepreneurs with learning how to be more vulnerable in all parts of their life. So I think if you're willing to have that level of vulnerability with yourself and with your family and with your teammates, your your employees, your coworkers, like then you know you can bring parts of yourself that you would otherwise hide. And I think there's a shift though, societally, where people are becoming more vulnerable. And I, I think her thanks to a lot of her work, especially. So that to mm-hmm. me sounds like already somewhere in him he felt he had to keep all these things compartmentalized right mm-hmm. like he couldn't tend to his psychological and emotional needs he had to he had to sacrifice mm-hmm. his well-being in order to fulfill his obligations as husband father whatever um boss and so he wasn't really being true to himself, right? And ultimately that's that's the root of the problem. What do you say to
1: those people that are even past that point, Inessa? Like the people that are realizing that their business may not be able to weather the the storm, the COVID storm or some other challenge that they're facing? Yeah. And they're feeling that defeat and they're feeling that despair. What do you say to clients who come to you in that state?
0: You can't bypass feelings. So it's really more about feeling whatever it is you're feeling. And then, okay, so where do we go from here? Like there's going to be inevitably a feeling of loss for most people. We have all gone through our grieving process with with COVID because life's Mm -hmm. changed so much. You know, we've all gone through our stages. Of grief or maybe those stages happen really fast for some people because their losses weren't as great. But I think like helping people go through their loss and then looking and drawing upon their talents and what are the opportunities right now. Mm -hmm. But there's a process I think one has to go through if you can't just jump.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And that's the hard stuff going through the process.
0: So I know you're recently married. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. A lot, of, a lot of my friends were like, oh, wow, would you marry in 2020? Like, well, you, you, you should delay that. <laughs> you
1: but, should've... you know, that's the thing. It's like we don't know what's next. Like, why delay your happiness in the life that you want when you have someone in front of you that you want to be married to? Totally. What advice can you give couples who are living
0: and working alongside their partner in close quarters? What we've been exploring is these breaks that we have. So we have breaks in between sessions and we notice that you know sometimes we'll meet in our during our breaks like in the kitchen or somewhere and we've had to make a very very kind of conscious effort and agreement not to start any major conversations during those breaks. How do you define a major conversation? Well, anything that requires more than 10 minutes of like talking about we we just have to commit to not having that conversation because then that can spill that spills into our sessions. That keeps us still stuck. Like we it's like if we can't complete This talk now in the next 10 minutes, we're just not going to have it. Even if there's something so pressing that I need to tell him or there's something that he did that I'm upset about, I've had to really like put that on the, like compartmentalize that and agree to not talk about it until we're both finished with our day. Mm. Because it it kind of pollutes the space and then we're not finished with the talk and that energy goes into our next session.
1: Mm.
0: It's like that unfinished business. We can't start it if we can't finish it. That's kind of the rule we have. If we can't finish this talk in the next 10 minutes, we're not going to even start having it.
1: That's it's good that you discuss this in advance. Like, I talk a lot to my clients about planning for success in your interpersonal communication and having made the decision before you get into the place where your decision may be compromised. So, for you and your partner, you've already made the decision that you have that boundary. And that boundary is agreed upon by the two of you. I feel like these agreements in the work from home world that we are in are really important with our partners, our kids, our colleagues, and the the other people around us.
0: Yeah, and it also, but it came from like trial and error. It came from like yeah. me confronting him about something, and then him not, not being able to meet my need, and then having to jump on a call, and then telling me, "Hey, I spent this whole hour with my client. I didn't feel like I was really present for them." because I'm thinking about what we just talked about. So can, can you please not do that again? You know, so we both have to like agree to not do that. And it's hard.
1: That must be interesting <laughs> being a fly on the wall of two therapists being in a relationship together. <laughs> you have dueling modalities going on.
0: Totally dueling. Very much so. Very much so.
1: <laughs> uh, before you go, we have one final question that we like to ask all of our guests. What's the last or best piece of advice that you either gave or received?
0: This is the easiest way to keep the positive vibes circulating in your house without teaching you an in-depth clearing process. Keep the windows open, keep the energy circulating. A lot of that stuff that you pick up, you know, throughout your day from the people that you see, you know, a lot of this, it gets reabsorbed into the space, like energy dynamics, everything gets reabsorbed back into the house. So let it out. Open the window.
1: Thank you. I will take that advice. (laughs) You're welcome.
0: (laughs) Thanks for being here. Thanks, Savannah.
1: Studies show that just one five-minute breathing exercise a day can relieve a lot of emotional exhaustion. In season two, Michael Cass, founder of Story and Spirit, joined me to demonstrate a breathing exercise. You can go back and listen to that episode. It's called Transformative Storytelling, and then follow along. Here's what we learned from Inessa today. Boundaries. Create some physical boundaries in your space and in your relationships to maintain better focus and save your sanity. Find your connection with nature today. Pet your dog. Go on a walk. Just take some time away from staring at a screen and sitting at your desk. Clear your clutter, it takes up too much space in your brain and in your house. Start by figuring out what the clutter symbolizes for you. Want to learn more about Inessa's work? Maybe get your place virtually feng or talk to her about her mental health work? You can find her online at fengshuifromtheheart.com, or check out the link in the show notes. This podcast was brought to you by FreshBooks, the number one cloud accounting solution for small business owners and their teams. We have so many tools to help you get your finances organized so that you can focus on organizing other areas of your life and work. Check out the exclusive offer that's just for you, our podcast listeners, at freshbooks.com slash I-M-A-L. Again, that's freshbooks.com slash I-M-A-L, which is short for I Make a Living. Our audio engineer and composer is James Morris. Our associate producer is Leo Shell Villanueva. Our producer and director is Paco Erzmendi. And I'm your host and producer, Damona Hoffman. I love to connect with people, especially at a time like this. So reach out to me. I'm on all the socials at Damona Hoffman, or you can find out about my work at damonahoffman.com. And don't forget to make your space work for you because it's your business. See you next week.